Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Graham Hall. And Graham, it is a good day for another show. Florida getting ready to take on number 11 Tennessee in Knoxville. It's the ESPN College Game Day Game of the Week. Uh, 24-7 Sports also featuring uh, this game uh, Josh Pate, uh, who travels the nation for his show, will be in attendance as well. So a lot of media attention for uh, this rivalry game, which is historically dominated by Florida. Last 17 matchups, Gators are 16-1. and one. Uh, But according to Vegas uh, and the eye test, that might not be so indicative of what's going to go on this year. Obviously, a rivalry game uh, can make things funky, but the volunteers go into this a 10.5-point favorite. Uh, over the Gators, I believe I saw somewhere that that is the largest point spread uh, where Tennessee is favored uh, in in at least the last two decades, if not longer. Uh, and so, my first question to you is just an overview here. Uh, Florida's two and one; they're ranked twentieth. Are they really as outmatched as potentially the betters think? Uh, what, what what are your thoughts, kind of going into this one before we try and break it down a little bit? I wouldn't say overmatched necessarily. I think that. You have a Tennessee program that talent aside is benefiting from the continuity of, you know, being under the second year of Josh Heupel. I think that having a veteran quarterback who played three years of college ball before even getting to Tennessee, someone who has had the starting job for more than a year, clearly they get a nod up in, in that regard. But I, I think that for to say that Florida's, you know, overmatched uh, would be a little bit unfair at the you know outset. I think that Tennessee, certainly, if you look at it from a program perspective, they have a case to have won more games in the series than they have as of late. And I think that that factor is something that is going to have an impact in this game. I know that history doesn't bear much meaning, but they're playing for something greater for a lot of teams before them. And I think that Florida can capitalize on that. But from churning a long standpoint right now and the continuity. Yeah. Tennessee has a whole lot of advantages that really makes, and that's before even factoring in, you know, the atmosphere at Neyland stadium, it really, you know, makes you think that the balls are finally going to establish themselves and, and win one of these games here and keep going. Yeah. I, I think it's a, an interesting matchup for sure. It's a, it's a weird moment in the state of the two programs. At least if you look at how they fared against each other, you know, of course, over the last two decades, like I said, Florida dominates the series. But now these are, are teams in two very distinctly different places, in my opinion. Like you said, you have Tennessee, which has a little more continuity, 
Uh, it's it's a group of, of people that have already played together between coaches and players and even you know a lot of their key components offensively and defensively. Uh, whereas Florida, we have seen now through three games quite clearly, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. I think that this is a team that's trying to figure out uh, its identity on both sides of the ball. I think that this is a team that, you know, Billy Napier has said is trying to get to a point uh, in its execution that he believes to be acceptable. Uh, and he they don't feel like they've reached it yet. And so it's created kind of a disparity uh, between the two programs. And it's led to this uh, Tennessee being favored by double digits. Uh, let's let's talk Tennessee's offense right now. It's a high-powered unit, uh, and a lot of people expect it to be the difference maker in Saturday's game between these two teams. They run a play roughly every 20 seconds. It's a tempo offense. Uh, they have a guy in Hendon Hooker at quarterback who is very highly regarded uh, among a lot of people's SEC uh, preseason ballots was my preseason all-SEC second-team quarterback. Uh, I'm curious, how does Florida match up uh, against this offense and what should people be looking for as we get into that game? You know, I think it really kind of a huge factor for Florida is, is how their defense plays um, against this Tennessee offense. You know, this is one of the best passing attacks in the SEC, if not the entire country uh, led by Hendon Hooker. And it really starts with being able to create pressure and get him out of what he likes to do. And, you know, while he is capable of using his legs, if you can get this guy outside the pocket and pressure him as he throws, you can certainly force him into some errant passes. And I think Florida needs to put an onus on doing that Saturday. If you don't, it could be a long night there. And, you know, when you look at this front seven, I think that you have to discuss Ventrell Miller first and foremost, right? I think that his the question of whether he plays or not, let's start there, is a huge one. Uh, if he does play, it's not, I think, expected that he's going to play a majority of snaps. Certainly can't see him going out there and playing 70 snaps if he is still dealing with a great deal of pain. And that's going to put a whole lot of pressure on a pair of underclassmen linebackers in Shamar James and Scooby Williams to step up and play at a high level, communicate effectively. And you saw their teammates this week say, that while they're confident in both those guys, you know, it is hard to replace in-game experience. And from a communication standpoint, Shamar James, for as impressive as he is, it, it takes a lot of time learning the calls and being comfortable making those calls. And especially heading into his, you know, first road game of his collegiate career, it, you know, begs the question of how is he going to fare if there's going to be a drop-off there. And, you know, Scooby Williams, a guy who was out there for 40-plus snaps, against USF, you would like to see him get a little bit louder, communicate more with his teammates and show up a little bit more uh, at the end of the play there. So certainly a question with those two linebackers and the Gators are going to need to be able to generate a pass rush so that they can have some success. Sure. I, I think what stands out to me with regard to Tennessee's offense, the thing that I'm going to really be looking closely at, Hendon Hooker, like you mentioned, is a strong-armed guy. Uh, he's exceptionally accurate. Uh, last year did a phenomenal job of avoiding turnovers, which he's now continued into the season. So, you know, that's that's something Florida will have to deal with. Although I think of all the things that they're going to have to, you know, be challenged by, uh, to be challenged through the air is probably best case scenario. I think Florida's secondary is easily at strength uh, defensively at the moment. And especially after this last contest against USF, I think we saw that Florida has a lot of those same tackling problems that kind of plagued it last year. It seems that those they've, that's kind of followed the team uh, in, into this season under Billy Napier. And of course, you know, 
worth mention. I think that a lot of the guys who are having problems with tackling this year have had problems with tackling in the past. Uh, and so this is not a Billy Napier's at fault right away type of thing, which is where a lot of fans of minds have gone. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, you know, Florida will be challenged in the run game in this contest. Uh, tackling has been a problem. Uh, Hendon Hooker is mobile. Uh, something Billy Napier mentioned after the USF game is uh, Gary Bohannon, who is also a mobile quarterback, obviously, gave Florida a lot of problems because of the variety of ways he could get loose as a runner and the challenge that presents for the defense from a communication uh, and play recognition standpoint. Now, how does Florida remedy that? Uh, you mentioned one of the ways. If it can get Ventrell Miller back on the field, which listed as questionable, uh, lower body injury was in a walking boot uh, during the USF game, so very recently, whether or not he's able to play, I think, makes a significant difference uh, in the potential outcome for Florida against the run because he is Florida's communicator, uh, and there's nobody who's really shied away from that. He is the guy that players look to to uh, you know, understand what's happening. He's the guiding force on that, on that defensive side of the ball for the Gators. Uh, if he's out, I can see Tennessee potentially having a lot of success via its ground game, which obviously would enable it to try and get the ball out to some of those shifty and fast receivers. Um, Graham, what, what does Florida need to do in your mind to slow down that rushing attack? Obviously, Ventrell Miller will play a role, but there are other factors. We talked to a couple defensive linemen this week. Uh, where, where does your head go with that? You know, we have to mention that Florida's not the only one here dealing with injuries when it comes to stopping the run. Tennessee has a lot of self-inflicted wounds coming into this game. They lost a pair of running backs to injury against Akron, including one who has been a primary rusher in Jabari Small. So, you know, they could be without their top, one of their top running backs going into this game, which could bode, bode well for Florida's, you know, having some success there and making them a little bit more one-dimensional than they would like to be. I think the big key is being able to play contain on Hendon Hooker and make the pocket collapse, force him into, like I said, some errant throws because he is extremely accurate in his own right. He's not often going to make a poor decision when he has time to go through his progressions and understand what the play call is and understand what the defense is doing. He's a guy that you have to slow him down. And I think that if you're able to force them into, like I said, some poor decisions, you, you can kind of rattle this offense a little bit, especially if they're missing some primary playmakers. Another one, especially that we haven't even mentioned, I know that we spent so much time talking about Florida is, you know, they could be without Cedric Tillman, their number one wide receiver, who has been, yeah, the top target for Hendon Hooker. If they have, I think, a lack of efficiency in the downfield passing game, that would bode well for Florida here in this game and, and feeling even a little bit more confident to bring an extra rusher here and, and try and create some negative plays and, and get the ball that quickly. But it certainly is a question whether Florida is going to be able to even contain, I think, a second or third down, a third running back in an attack because they just had that problem against Kentucky, even when Ventro Miller was in the game. I know he wasn't out there for the fourth quarter, but you saw smoke get loose for a lot of yardage there in the fourth quarter. They need to make sure that that doesn't happen by a Tennessee running back, you know, unit that is pretty banged up coming into this game, even though Florida has a lot of injuries of their own. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I Let's, let me, let me give you one more question with regard to that offense. The tempo has been a topic all week. We've talked about it with Billy Napier. Uh, we've talked about it with several Florida defensive players. It is clear that one of the things that Florida has zeroed in on that has become a major focus 
uh, in the lead up to this contest has been the rate at which Tennessee gets plays off. It's fast. Uh, they like to realign the ball. I believe it was Brenton Cox who joked that they like to run plays before the chains are even set. Uh, tell me what kind of challenge that presents for this Florida defense and what it could mean in terms of, you know, how depth factors into this game uh, and just how Florida is able to go about things because we've actually seen stamina has been a problem, especially in that Utah game in the second half of this defense. Yeah, not a lot of these guys have played a team this fast. When we talked to some of the veterans on the team, Amari Bernie, Brenton Cox Jr., they referenced the 2020 you know, COVID year when they played a team they rarely face, Mississippi, and said that that offense, which had Matt Corral and was running a, a very fast tempo that Lane Kiffin has had a lot of success with, that made it very difficult for them when, especially in a year where you kind of had an up-and-down training camp-type schedule with COVID, that was really difficult to adjust to that pace. I think that Florida's a little bit more prepared right now to face an up-tempo offense, but they do have a lot of, of guys who are in the rotation who have not experienced something like this before. Shamar James, Scooby Williams, Devin Moore, Chris McClellan, Desmond Watson even. He hasn't faced a fully a full-packed stadium like this. I know that they went to LSU last year and played in front of a hostile Tigers crowd, but this is a little bit of a different scenario where you're facing a six-digit crowd, and more importantly, what wasn't the case in that LSU game last year is that this is a consequential matchup for one team. The volunteers certainly are still undefeated, have a chance to compete, I think in the sec East and get into who, who knows, you know, that new Year's six bowl conversation, considering they sit at number 11 right now, heading into this matchup. So I think that when you look at the stakes, you look at the environment. Yeah. This is something that I think is of great concern and if Florida has to rotate consistently or guys get tired and Hooker is able to strike quickly and then Florida's offense goes out there and goes three and out and the defense has to come back out on the field, this could be a situation where Florida doesn't have the depth to right. compete and you're hearing the noise of the crowd, which is impacting the ability to, you know, for the young guys to even have a chance to replace the veterans in there. It is absolutely a scenario where Florida can't get some takeaways, get some three and outs, get Tennessee off the field, you're going to get a lot of guys really tired there, especially one who, and we'll kind of segue back to you with this, Desmond Watson making his first career start with the Gators, the largest player on the team who has, I think that's a question for him, whether he's going to be able to be out there for six, seven plays at a time without needing to rotate in for someone else. I mean, that is certainly to something to watch on Saturday. Right. And he actually mentioned, uh, this would be one of the more challenging games of his career. You know, making a start aside, he's he's played quite a bit already this season, uh, and he did recognize that the pace of this game could make it tougher for him than usual. Let's flip it to the other side of the ball. Let's change roles here. Uh, Florida's offense has been interesting through three contests so far this season. The rushing game has been good. They've been able to move the ball successfully that way. Uh, the pass game has not been nearly as effective. Uh, Florida has not thrown a touchdown pass yet through three contests. It's the first time, at least since 2000, that Florida got through three games with no passing touchdowns. Uh, what are they facing in this Tennessee defense? What what should fans look for uh, in the Florida opposition here? And and what do uh, the the Volunteers have that might you know either allow Florida to open things up a little bit, or is this going to be another battle? 
Yeah, I'm impressed with Tennessee's defense in the second and third levels. They have a fantastic linebacker in Jeremy Banks, who really, I mean, one of the better stories in the SEC for those who don't know. I mean, he was someone who came in to Knoxville as a running back and then had some issues early in his career, ends up getting dismissed um, in 2019, comes back to the team in 2020, and they say, okay, you know, you're going to play as a reserve linebacker if, if you're going to play because – it was a number standpoint for him. And he comes back and shows a lot of skill at linebacker, dedicates himself, has a, a really, really good season of reserve, and then has just taken off last year. He was, I think, the seventh best leading tackler in the nation. Um, you know, just a, a centerpiece of their defense is, an, is kind of an understatement. Um, when you look at this team, he jumps off the page. He's going to be a huge problem for Florida in passing lanes. He has length. He's intelligent. He can, he can affect the pass rush. This is someone that Florida is going to struggle with. And then I think you look at their, their secondary, a lot of impressive pieces as well. Trevon Flowers is, is a guy that I think a lot of fans may have heard before, but he's a centerpiece of their team. He also works on punt return. I think their defensive line has been impressive, but one of the issues that they have shown is an issue with gap control. You know, I think that, you, you've seen a tendency for sometimes their linebackers to get caught looking in the backfield or, you know, be thinking pass and and get blocked by a tight end. And it's free to guy for a, a massive, you know, bit of yardage. You saw that against Pittsburgh. Obviously, the other two teams that the volunteers faced weren't, I think, a really good indicator of the issues that they have on defense. Right now, their, their defensive line, I, I don't think, is the most impressive that Florida has faced so far, considering they have you know faced the Utes and faced Kentucky. But the same cannot be said for Tennessee. This is going to be the most impressive pass rush that they have faced, I think, through four games this season here. And I'm interested to see how it turns out. Um, you know, there's a lot of holes in this Tennessee defense that we haven't, I think, got a good indication of whether they're small issues or glaring ones, because their level of competition to this point has kind of paled in comparison. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, here's, here's where my, my head goes. It's what is the formula for Florida uh, in this contest offensively? We have seen uh, a couple different versions of this Florida offense. And against Utah, we saw this you know uh, explosive rushing attack that was supplemented beautifully by passing. I think that it was very clear that the run came first, but it was not 
the only option for Florida, and it allowed it to be successful through the air when it needed to be. But it was all really to just boost the run game. And Florida did an amazing job rushing for 287 yards in that contest. You go a week later, the rushing production dips, but so does the passing production. And Florida looks less effective. Rushing is okay. It's unclear. Last week against USF, I would say that the passing looked fine in the first half, bad in the second half, and the rushing attack was very good throughout the game again. So my question is, you mentioned the strength of the defensive line with Tennessee. You mentioned that you like their defense. Is the path forward for Florida run the ball and try and get your results on the ground with your three-headed monster running back trio plus whatever you can get out of Anthony Richardson as a runner? Or are you trying to mix things up a little bit more like they did against Kentucky where there were more pass attempts than there were rushes? What's what's the balance given what you know about this volunteer defense? I think that Florida has to go to the run first and foremost. And I think that you could see a scenario here where you have two running backs on the field at, at a given time. I think that that's something Florida has experimented with finding a way to get Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne in the game, along with Naquan Wright, the benefits that he presents in the backfield. That's something I think you could see in this game, because I think that when you look at Florida's ability to get some speed in space, that is something that will favor them against this Tennessee defense. I, I do think that, like I said, their defensive line is, is average, in my opinion, compared to the rest of the SEC. Not to criticize them, but it's not, in my opinion, among the top six in the SEC. So I think that if you're going to be able to help Anthony Richardson in the pass game, it starts with being able to get him into some passing downs that aren't necessarily obvious. If they can get chunks of yards with their legs on the first two downs and make it so Richardson gets a fresh set of downs and can actually make the throw where he's not facing a whole bunch of pressure and can use his legs um, – to give himself, I think, a little bit of space to throw, that'll be to Florida's benefit on Saturday. They need to run the ball. They, I think that, you know, if they're going to truly match the pace of Tennessee here, maybe that includes something we haven't seen before, sticking with a running back beyond four or five carries, four or five plays, sticking with one for a series and then rotating them back out for another running back. I think that that's something that you could see Florida try as well, just knowing that they have stated their intention to feel like they're going to have to match the pace of this Tennessee offense at times. Right. This is an interesting game to me because I, we, we talked about it in our previous podcast and I guess I'll use this opportunity to kind of plug uh, some other things we're doing. Of course, head on over to the site swamp247.com for a lot of our written content and coverage uh, plus, Graham and I are always giving uh, extra information and more insight on the message board. So you can subscribe for access to that. Uh, and we would highly encourage you to do so. We also have the YouTube page, though. So if you're watching that uh, on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We posted a podcast earlier this week, Graham, uh, where we not only reviewed the USF game for Florida, but we also kind of took a a quick review of, of the quarter of the season. Florida has already, of course, played three of 12 regular season games. And one of the things we talked about was getting the ball to playmakers, making a deliberate effort to ensure that the best, most uh, effective playmakers on the offensive side of the ball are getting touches in the way that will maximize their potential. And so I'm talking about Montreal Johnson. I'm talking about Trevor Etienne. I'm talking about Ricky Pearsall. 
you know, Anthony Richardson as a runner is, is another absolute must-use weapon. I think that Florida has done an okay job at getting its, you know, getting its weapons open and in situations to uh, be more productive, but I don't think it has done a good enough job in actually executing in those situations. So I think Ricky Pearsall does a great job of getting open over the middle in these short to intermediate routes, particularly. I'd love to see them try and target him more than they have in the previous three games and see how that turns out. I think Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne should absolutely be getting more carries than they do per game. Uh, it's not because Naquan Wright hasn't been effective. He's been fine. He's rushing for four yards roughly, I think, per carry uh, through three games. There's nothing wrong with that. But the other two have been explosive. Montreal Johnson is averaging almost 10 yards per carry. Trevor Etienne is over seven. So I think that the key to success, if Florida were to pull off the upset and get a win in this rivalry game, I think the key comes down to how well it can get the ball to its key guys and use them in the way that they know they can find success. Montreal Johnson is fantastic outside the tackles. Get him outside the tackles and see what happens. Trevor Etienne has been a shifty, great, explosive option. Feed him the ball. And the same can be said for Ricky Pearsall and Anthony Richardson on the ground. Obviously, Anthony Richardson's health uh, was a question for us this week, so he has to be healthy in order to be able to do that. Uh, Graham, any final thoughts as we wrap up the preview portion of the podcast before we move into some uh, sports gambling talk? Do you have any final thoughts? No, I just am interested to see how Richardson fares in a hostile environment because we have seen him in one before at LSU. We've seen him mount a comeback if that is something that he has to do. I think that he kind of at times can really enjoy playing against a crowd. He hasn't really done that too much in his career. You know, his first start came in a neutral area with, you know, 30,000 Georgia fans there, of course, but he hasn't really had a chance to go out there and silence an opposing crowd. And I think that for as much loss of faith in a sense that maybe some media, but also a lot of fans have had in Richardson, seeing him make strides and do it in a hostile road environment, I think will restore a lot of that faith in a way and make some massive gains for his development. So in terms of the intangibles that you could see from this game that Florida gains, I think that that would be a huge step in the right direction for an inexperienced quarterback to go out there and, and shut up a, a volunteer's crowd and make it 17 to the last 18. There you go. Uh, some things to look for. Uh, certainly high stakes in this game. Uh, Florida obviously taking on a rival who they have dominated in recent history, uh, but the odds do not favor them entering play. And speaking of odds, Graham, let's move on over to what is my favorite podcast segment of any of the podcasting we do throughout the week. It is time for Select the SEC, where you and I go through every SEC game of the week uh, and pick our winners straight up and against the spread. For those who want to follow along, uh, you have to use the odds that I talk about on the podcast. I've got a couple questions about that. I'm going to make it clear for the second week in a row. We use the odds that are available on ESPN. Uh, there are consensus odd listed on the side of every game, but we are using the odds available when we're recording. So right now it is just almost 5 p.m. on Thursday, September 22nd. Uh, and I will always say the odds that we're picking from on the podcast. So uh, they might change, but this is the one we are using. Uh, 
Uh, and without further ado, I say we get started with one that shouldn't be terribly hard to pick. Number one, Georgia is the home team against Kent State. Uh, the Bulldogs are a 45-point favorite even. Graham, uh, kick us off. Uh, Georgia wins and covers. Straight at, straight away. Easy. Uh, I agree with you. This Georgia team is fantastic. Uh, there's no reason to believe that this game should be close. So there you go. Let's move on. Uh, this is a, a much tif- more difficult one to pick. Uh, Auburn hosting Missouri. Both teams are 2-1 and one entering play. Auburn is a seven-point favorite. Do you take them by a touchdown? I do. I'm going to go Auburn wins and covers. I I got to say, I know it's just been three games, but Missouri is not as good as I thought they were. I will agree with you and go win and cover for Auburn, uh, and then I will atone for my sins with a quick break uh, in the action here. I did not say the standings. You and I are also keeping track uh, of how we're performing in these categories, and I did not announce it. So just very quickly, uh, straight up. So just picking winners. Uh, I have the one game edge over Graham. Uh, I am 33 and six. Graham, you are 32 and seven. However, the roles are reversed against the spread. Graham has the one game lead at 12 and seven overall. I am 11 and 18. And with that, we will go back to the games of the week. Mississippi State is hosting Bowling Green as a 30 point favorite. Uh, Graham, how are you picking? You said 30-point favorite? 3-0. Wow. Yeah. Oof. I was a little bit disappointed by the Bulldogs this past weekend when they went into LSU. After I talked them up, said it was one of the toughest games of the week to predict, and they let me down. But I'm back on I'm back on board. I'm back on board. I'm going to go Mississippi State wins and covers. I think that is... The wrong pick. I'm going to go with Mississippi State to win and not cover. Uh, Hopefully, I can make up a game there. Now, I will uh, do this every week. Uh, Florida is not necessarily listed at the bottom on the ESPN SEC list because its game is not last on the schedule. We pick Florida-Tennessee last and offer a score prediction. So we're going to jump that game and go to number 16, Ole Miss, hosting Tulsa, uh, the Rebels, a 21.5-point favorite. Yeah, speaking of fast offenses, I'm going with Ole Miss to win and cover against Tulsa. No disrespect to Tulsa, but they are uh, they could do a little bit better in, in a few ways right now. Uh, I'm with you. No, no further analysis from me. Mississippi is going to win and cover in my mind. Kentucky, which is ranked eighth in the country now, hosts Northern Illinois. Uh, Northern Illinois back-to-back weeks against SEC opponents. Uh, Kentucky is a 26 and a half point favorite. Uh, Northern Illinois, I should add, played quite well for the majority of the game against Vanderbilt a week ago. Ah, I'm going to go with Kentucky. You know, they're getting better. This is going to be their last week without Chris Rodriguez Jr. So, you know, I think they're going to run those guys, and I I think they're going to run away with this game. Um, I'm going to go for them to win and cover. This is a tough one in my mind. I think that spread is big. That requires a 27-point win from the Wildcats to cover. They are hot. Uh, I just don't know what to think about Northern Illinois. It's not a team I study uh, at all, so I don't know what to think. I'm going to err on the side of caution uh, and pick the Wildcats, though. So Kentucky, win and cover for me. This is an interesting one, so I'm excited to hear your pick. 
Arkansas, which is ranked 10th and at 3-0, is traveling to College Station to take on number 23, Texas A&M, which is 2-1. The Aggies are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Wow. I got to go with Arkansas, man. The fighting Sam Pittmans. I love what they're doing up there. I love KJ Jefferson. You, you've hated on me for picking him as the number two quarterback in the SEC back in the preseason. Wow. I've stuck by it. He's like top 15 in the league in rushing. One of the better throwing quarterbacks in my mind still. I'm I'm going with him. You know, Can you even name Texas A&M's quarterback off the top of your head? I, I can't. So I'm going to go with Arkansas to win and cover. I, hmm. I'm going to do the same. I think uh, the Razorbacks, the Razorbacks are going to pull off the upset, which is odd. The Vegas upset, uh, and then what do they know? Tell me what they know. I don't know. Clearly nothing. Um, Let's more than me, bro. (laughs) Let's move down to uh, Alabama. They are taking on rank number two. This should be a bloodbath. Uh, Vanderbilt. And Bama is a 40 and a half point favorite going into that one. Vanderbilt's a 40 and a half point. Did I say Vanderbilt's a favorite? I I meant to say Alabama's a a 40 and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I would have been blooper. That would make me, you know, rip all over, you know, Vegas right there, man. They don't know anything up there. That's what they're doing. I'm going to go with Alabama winning and covering the spread. I, I think that, you know, that they didn't do me wrong last week. They beat Louisiana Monroe handedly like I thought they would. So I'm going with the cruise and Nick Sabans. Alrighty. Uh, I'm with you. Bama winning cover. Let's move down to New Mexico, which travels to Baton Rouge to take on LSU. Both teams are two and one. LSU is a 31 and a half point favorite. What you got? LSU is a 31 and a half point favorite, huh? Over New Mexico. Mm. I really don't want to disrespect the Lobos like that. I'm, I'm going to go with LSU winning the game, but I I, I don't think they cover. All right. Uh, I thought I was going to have an opportunity to sneak away with one here. I'm also going to go LSU to win and not cover. Not that I think that this will have a dramatic impact on the game, but one thing I will say is New Mexico's head coach, Danny Gonzalez, was the defensive coordinator at Arizona State while LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels was a freshman there. Uh, so he, at a minimum, is is familiar with the tendencies of the Tigers quarterback. I don't know that it's going to help him win the game, but maybe not to lose by 32. So LSU to win and not cover. Uh, this is the final game before we pick Florida versus Tennessee. South Carolina is hosting a one and three Charlotte team. Uh, the Gamecocks are a 22 and a half point favorite. Yeah. Shout out Mike Hill. Um, I am going to go with South Carolina winning, but not covering. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, Betting on Spencer Rattler, even though the uh, Gamecocks were one and two, I'm, I'm going to bet them to cover the points. So South Carolina win and cover. And that brings us to the featured game of the week, of course. Uh, Tennessee, number 11, taking on Florida, number 20. In Knoxville, the Volunteers are a 10 and a half point favorite. As I said earlier, it's one of the largest 
betting line margins in recent history of the matchup. Uh, Graham, give me the score prediction and who you got winning. Jacob, I'm still torn about this one, man. At okay. first, in the beginning of the week, I was thinking double digits by Tennessee. The more I've thought about it, if Florida can run the ball effectively and if they can find some way to slow down Tennessee, they still may lose. But I don't think it'll be bad. I think that Tennessee wins this game. Let me hear it in the comments. Hate on me for something else besides my hair. But I think that Tennessee does not cover, but they win this game. I'm leaning closer to a six-point game right now. What's your I score think, prediction? Uh, I'm going 30 to 24, my friend. Okay. Uh, 30 to 24, Tennessee. Uh, Florida fans, you can either hate me or love me for this because I'll, I'll tell you what. So I'm going to pick Tennessee to win this game. Uh, I'm also going to pick Tennessee not uh, very narrowly to not cover the spread. I've got it 34-24 Tennessee, which would make it a half point under the spread. Um, now, here's the good news. I have am yet to get a Florida game correct uh, against the spread. I, I can't do it for some reason. I think, Graham, you're also 0-3 uh, for Florida against the spread. So maybe reason for, uh, for hope if we maybe get the overall pick wrong, although both of us picked them, uh, Florida, to cover the spread. So we'll see. Uh, neither of us have been particularly inspiring against the spread so far this season, but a week maybe to turn it around. Uh, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Graham, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? I'm just looking up and getting, looking forward to getting up to some fall weather, man. It is going to be low of 50s, high of 71 during kickoff on Saturday. It's going to be a great fall football game. I'm looking forward to being up there, providing a bunch of coverage on swamp247.com. I know you are as well. It's going to be an awesome time. Can't wait for a great game. There you have it. Uh, head on over to swamp247.com for daily Florida coverage. Uh, lots of football content, uh, football recruiting, basketball recruiting. Uh, I will add that basketball season, we are less than a week away from preseason practices. Uh, and Swamp 247 is your home for basketball coverage. So uh, all the more reason to subscribe if you're interested in that. We will start our basketball coverage uh, podcast next week. So you can look forward uh, to an episode on what's going on with the Hoops team. Uh, Todd Golden again starting practices on Tuesday. Uh, and then, of course, with our podcast. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you hit like and subscribe. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we appreciate your listen. Leave us a nice review. We appreciate those as well. Uh, and with that being said, we will see you all on the next episode uh, when we review Florida's game against Tennessee, uh, a ranked matchup, college game day, Gators entering play, 10.5 point underdogs, but we will see what happens. And with that, uh, I wish you well. We'll see you on the next episode.